Hi everyone, welcome to Fighting for Writing. It is me, your host, hostess, I guess. Whatever, I'm just going to call myself a host because every time I say hostess, it just makes me think of hostess cupcakes, which I do love. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think they're good. So I don't care if you think they're crap. I'm kind of like a simple eat all the crap kind of food type of gal. So yeah, this is Fighting for Writing. Last episode was supposed to be about characters and planning characters and giving them traits and defining characteristics and such. And then it turned into an episode about adaptations and which adaptations I think are good and which ones I think are absolute crap, etc, etc. I think I will be doing a part two on adaptations, mostly because I totally forgot to talk about Jaws which is based on a book by Peter Benchley, if you didn't know. But I will be not doing that on this episode. That's just a teaser, teaser, a teaser, if I can speak correctly, for an eventual part two of adaptations of books that are good or bad. And sorry if there is buzzing in the background. I'm going to try and get rid of it in editing. It's just the air conditioning and there is no way I am turning it off, guys. It is the summer. It is boiling. Oh my gosh. But I'm in a super great mood right now. I am watching my aunt's cats and staying at her house for a few days. And it's basically like a little paradise for me. I love it over here. It's beautiful. I can just chill on the comfortable couches. There's a piano. And there's two cats who might come over and start meowing at me during this. So if you hear them, it's fine. They're cute, cute cats. And one of them, whenever she sees me, she does start meowing because she's an attention whore, I guess. Adorable though. Totally adorable. Love them. Yeah, I'm just in a super good mood because I'm here and it's lovely and it's like a little vacation for me, even though I'm still in town. And oh my gosh, guys, guys, guys. Okay. I need to talk real quick about Cinderella 3. Yes, you heard me right. Cinderella 3, the movie. It's called Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. And my cousin Alexis, who was on me with the first part or the first episode about world building, totally suggested it to me. And I was a bit hesitant. It sounded interesting, but... You know, it's a direct-to-movie sequel, and those are usually absolute S-H-I-T compared to the originals. However, holy crap, guys, holy crap. Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, was fantastic, and I am not even lying. I don't know if you can hear the cat meowing. Oh my gosh, she's already meowing. Lucifer! Just kidding. Her name isn't Lucifer. That's the cat from Cinderella. Come here. Come here. Come here. I told you she's just an attention whore. I haven't been paying attention to her. Now she's like, oh, help, help. By the way, she does have food and water. She's not dying. Hi, Daisy. Hi. Hi. You want to be on the podcast too? I don't know if you can hear her. Anyway, I'll try and pet her while we're doing this. I was talking about Cinderella 3 before Not Lucifer came over here. Man, guys, it was so good. I audibly gasped 
so many times in the first 20 minutes because I was just blown away by how clever it actually was, but also how evil and wicked Lady Tremaine was in this movie. Holy crap. Oh my gosh, she was horrible. And I, like I said, I just kept being like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that was really good. Or, oh my gosh, she's so evil. Or, oh my gosh, Cinderella's in so much danger. Like, it's a Disney movie, guys. We know it's going to turn out okay in the end. Even if someone dies, we know it's going to be okay, right? But I still was like, oh my gosh, Cinderella and the prince and the blah and the blah. (laughs) I will tell you the basic plot so you can go and watch it. But basically, Lady Tremaine gets a hold of the fairy godmother's magic wand and she turns back time so that Cinderella is not the one who fits in the glass slipper. Which was hilarious because I felt like not only was it a fantastic movie, but it also poked fun at (laughs) the original a little bit where it was like, You know, there are more girls that could fit in a size four and a half shoe than one, which is, by the way, tiny feet. I'm a size seven and my feet are small. Okay, a four and a half. What is that? Like a baby? I don't know. But yes, apparently Cinderella is a four and a half. So I guess, you know what? Yeah, maybe there's not a lot of women actually that fit in a size four and a half. It's ridiculously small. But yeah. It was surprisingly dark and just gripping, and it made Cinderella a real badass. I think besides maybe Mulan, who actually does stuff in her movie, and Belle does some things too. I'm a a fan of Belle as well. But I feel like Mulan and then Cinderella and this one are like badass princesses that actually do crap, all right? Instead of just being asleep or cleaning or dead half the movie until our prince comes and picks them up and kisses them and it's all fine. And I just like Cinderella in general because she's just a kind person. And of course, you know, it's a Disney movie, so it's going to be really quick where she meets the prince and falls in love and blah, blah, blah. But she is at heart just a good person who is in a crappy situation and still chooses to be a good person and a kind-hearted person. And so she has more defining traits and is more of a person I feel like than other Disney princesses especially from the early days which goes right into character and character development and giving them defining traits so that they seem like actual people instead of cardboard cutout characters or women that have no personality etc etc so hey, that's what we're actually talking about today after I went gaga about Cinderella 3, and I'm not even joking. I tried to research it afterwards. There's basically zero information. Okay, I didn't I didn't look that hard. I always look on Wikipedia and IMDb. I don't go <laughs> searching the web hours, but it was really good. You should definitely check out Cinderella 3. Thanks, Alexis, for suggesting it because it was actually <laughs> a really fantastic, really clever really dark Disney movie. Go check it out. In book news, since this is already like almost 10 minutes long, where I've talked about Cinderella. Cinderella! Anyway, back to books. I am reading currently The Day of the Jackal. Or maybe it's just Day of the Jackal without the. I always put the's in front of things or drop them off. Like, I know it's The Lord of the Rings, but I just call it Lord of the Rings. That's, and 
other books. <laughs> I'm sure I do that with too. So I think it's just called Day of the Jackal by Frederick Forsyth. It's really good, guys. I was a bit hesitant to read it because the only other book of his that I've read is, I can't remember. It's called Phantom of Manhattan, I think. And it's supposed to be a continuation slash sequel to Phantom of the Opera. And it was crap, guys. Crap, crap, crap. I'm sorry, Frederick Forsyth, if you're still alive. I have no idea if you are. I think he might still be alive. It's crap, okay? And I don't know why of all the Phantom of the Opera sequels, they chose to adapt The Phantom of Manhattan into a musical for Broadway. I was like, are you serious? How about? No, because it was crap. Literally so bad. It was basically The Phantom of the Opera, except set in Manhattan, but also there was no mystery to it. You know what was going to happen. It was just like a ripoff and really crappily done, so bah! I really don't get why they adapted it, and the end really pissed me off, too. Like, really pissed me off. But Day of the Jackal by Frederick Forsyth is really good. It is about an assassin who is planning on killing Charles de Gaulle, who, during the time of the book, or the time that the book is set in, is the president of France. And so far, all that I've read, it's just him planning, which kind of sounds boring when you hear it's a book about an assassin planning. Yes, but it is so gripping and so good. I got it from the library maybe two days ago, and I've already read 100 pages. So I clearly am enjoying it so far. And I suggest it. I mean, I haven't finished it. Maybe when I finish it, I'll be really upset and not like it. But so far, <laughs> I think The Day of the Jackal by Frederick Forsyth is good. Also, there's this hilarious photograph of him on the back where, like, it just screams Frederick Forsyth thinks he's cool. Which just makes me giggle every time I see the picture on the back. I probably can't post it online because it's probably copyrighted. But it's basically him looking, you know, at the camera in this kind of smoldering way with the, his hand up and there's a cigarette in it. And then his thumb is kind of like resting on his chin like he's a real cool dude. Which he might be a real cool dude in real life. The picture just had me basically burst out laughing because I was like, man, this guy thinks he looks real cool in this picture. And all I could think was, don't smoke. <laughs> Which, like, if you smoke, I guess it's your own thing. I'm, my grandpa died of lung cancer, so I'm not super into smoking. And secondhand smoking is no bueno. Anyway, not talking about smoking anymore. We're talking about characters. That was a really long, almost 15-minute talk about my week. We're moving on to characters now. So character planning and development. Basically, how do you make characters that are actual people as opposed to people that when the reader reads about them, they're like, yeah, this is just a book. This is just a character. You want, you want people to feel about your characters. You want them to think that they're actually human or whatever species they are in the book or an actual cat like if the cat just sits around like a statue all day but not sleeping they're just sitting like a statue on the end of a table for 24 hours well cats don't really do that 
They do sit a lot, but they're usually sleeping or bothering you by sitting and punching you in the head while you're trying to sleep. So how do you make characters seem real? And how do you bring them to life? How do you make them separate from each other? Giving them like a defining character so that when people read about them, they seem real. And I'll give you an example of what I found as a not real character or group of characters was in the book, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. I had to read this book in 11th grade for a project. Absolutely hated it. I honestly don't get why so many people thought it was amazing because it's not. So there you go. That's what I think about Grapes of Wrath. But in regards to the characters, I remember there's one part where it's basically about a family called the Jodes, if I remember correctly, and they are moving from Oklahoma to California during the Great Depression because they heard, you know, California is so great and there's money and jobs and we won't starve to death out there, basically. So they pack their whole family up. They're on the road. They're moving. They have two of their dogs with them. Once again, if I remember correctly, it could have been one dog. But at this one gas station or a pit stop, they're filling up and resting and their dogs run out into the road and get hit by a car and die. And the kids basically didn't react. I don't even remember if it said they were sad. I felt like the dogs got hit and in the next paragraph, The family was all back in the car and it was fine and dandy. And I was like, what the actual F just happened? I get that they're farmers or they were farmers in Oklahoma. And sometimes when you deal with animals being born and dying a lot, it doesn't affect you as much. But they were still the family dogs and these were kids. The kids haven't gotten used to the fact that your pets will die, that we slaughter pigs or cows or whatever. And they didn't do anything. Like, I don't even remember it saying they shed a tear. It was just like, oh, our dogs are dead. Well, time to go back on our adventure to California. It was so bad. It was bad enough that I remember it to this day. And that was like freaking 12 years ago that I had to read this horrible book that I never finished. I, I will admit, okay. I don't, I didn't spark notes things in high school, except for the Grapes of Wrath. That is the only book I could never make it through. Every other book I had to read in high school for projects or whatever. Yeah, I was able to make it through all of them except for The Grapes of Wrath because it sucks. Okay, if you want to read something by John Steinbeck, go read Of Mice and Men. That's a good story. It's sad, but it's good. So that's an example of a bad one people not reacting how people would react in like a normal everyday situation because a dog dying and being hit by a car is a normal everyday situation. Obviously, if your characters don't react to an elephant appearing out of the sky in some way, well, yeah, it's because that usually doesn't happen. Actually, probably never has happened on planet Earth, an elephant magically appearing out of the sky. However, like I said, dogs being hit by cars has happened a lot. Their reaction, not real. So I do feel like it depends on the setting that your characters are in. But gosh, man, when something happens, react to it. I just watched a movie 
a Hallmark movie called The Curse of King Tut from 2006. It was the crappiest movie I've ever seen. And I used to have horrible movie nights with my brother where we would purposefully watch bad movies. This was the worst I've ever seen. Once again, one of their friends dies in the movie and these two other main characters are like, yeah, I'll really miss him. And then it cuts to the next day and it's fine again. And it's like he never even existed. It was so stupid because it's a trio of friends and one of them is now dead. And the other two are just like, whatever, moving on. So, so bad. Man, ugh, I don't like it when, ugh, yeah. Obviously everyone reacts to death differently, but um, that reaction seemed very strange. All of that being said, this like 20 minutes of me ranting about Cinderella and characters that are horrible and such, give your characters a defining trait or a defining look or something that will make them stand apart. I feel like that really helps, at least for me. And it doesn't have to be anything amazing. And it doesn't have to be for every character. If they're minor characters off to the side that are just there in the background, okay, whatever. But I still feel like if they're going to pop up in the story again, you better make sure that people remember who they are. Unless, for some reason, they're not supposed to. And they're supposed to go back and be like, wait, wasn't this guy this guy? Oh my gosh! And figure things out themselves. So I thought I would just go through some of my own novels or planned stories and talk about some of the traits that my characters have, just to give some examples of what you can do to kind of make your characters stand out. And like I said, it doesn't even have to be a big thing. It can be something that the readers probably won't even recognize as they're reading it. And that leads me into my first example of in Soul Eater, the first book I ever wrote, The Devil never uses contractions. He never says can't, he never says won't, he says cannot, will not. And that is something that probably as a reader, you would never notice. But for me, it makes him sound more formal and powerful, in my opinion. Not that it necessarily does. Like I said, that is my opinion. But he does not and will not use contractions when he speaks, ever. Ever, ever, ever. That's a really small thing that probably no one will notice unless you listen to this episode and then when Soul Eater is published, go and read it and remember this episode. Bo in Soul Eater, he giggles a ton. He's not always giggling, but he is often laughing and giggling because he is insane and basically everything entertains him or makes him really angry, one or the other. So he's either giggling and laughing in your best friend, or he's beaten the living daylights out of you because you pissed him off. But even then, he might be giggling and laughing when he does that because he's entertained by hurting people as well because he's a horrible person. Anzu, who's a little demon in the Soul Leader series, he's not super important in the first book. He comes into play in the ones I'm attempting to write. <laughs> and, but he is always eating food or looking for food or trying to smell out where more food is being prepared. He is an eater. He loves eating. 
and he's a tiny little demon, but he just processes the food so quick that it just, you know, the metabolism just woo, 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 woo. And he just loves to eat. It's his thing. He's not necessarily, well, I would say he's a glutton in that case, but yeah, so he's always eating. Those are just three quick examples. Bring with you the reins. Elton mixes up her verbs, verb tenses sometimes. And of course, she's always talking to Leonard, her pig. She doesn't, she's not necessarily a proper girl. She'll put her feet up on her chair when they're sitting at the dinner table. She'll come dirty into the house. She'll not wash her hands. She's just the very kind of chill country girl who doesn't think she needs to be proper. Her mom and her pa, they don't, if it's bad, I can't remember my own. I think though, her mom and her pa never swear during the whole book. And they also don't mention Johnny, who is her brother, because his name is off limits. And Ma and Pa also never have names. They're always Ma and Pa. And I really like that, by the way. That can be used really powerfully in a book. And a really good example, in fact, of all the books I've read so far, the best example of that is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Because you never learn the main character's name. And the main character is married to a man who was once married to Rebecca, but Rebecca has passed away. And yet you know Rebecca's name, and even though Rebecca is not physically in the book, her presence is there all the time. And so I love that you know Rebecca's name and you never, ever find out the main character's name, even though she's narrating the story and telling the story the whole time. It was so fantastically done. That was a really clever character, not a character arc, but a character trait that you never know her name. Just a really clever character idea. I think she might have also bit her nails a lot in the book, but I'm not positive on that one. But go read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And while you're at it, go read My Cousin Rachel because they're both really good. Back to my books. Let's see. Tara Suda... Ezra, one of his, this is more of a physical thing, but one of his defining physical traits is that he basically looks like his brother, Charlie. He's a bit slimmer built than his brother, Charlie, but that is actually one of the big parts of his life is that he looks like Charlie. And so when people see him really quickly, they kind of mistake him for Charlie a lot, even though Charlie, according to them, is dead. And so they get a little shocked, you know, like, oh my gosh, oh wait, no, that's not Charlie type thing. And Ezra is also super, super loyal to his other, to his other brother, to his older brother. It's his only brother. So to his older brother, which may not seem super bad, being loyal to your family is good if they're good people. Wink. So that's what I'll say about that. And my book, Aftermath, one of the main characters is haunted by the color red because one of the other characters, that was his favorite color. And he has since passed away. And so he is this little boy who knew this man or this other boy whose favorite color was red. This little boy is haunted by the color red in the book. 
and don't breathe. I have one character who's always chewing gum. Once again, it's kind of a small thing, but it's something that if it were to happen in a movie, you know, you would always know who Sue is, maybe even with your eyes closed because she'd be chewing on that gum, right? A small thing, but that, that really is what defines characters or smaller things. Even in the way they speak, I think a really good example of that that's easier to pick up on than like my version of the devil not using contractions is in Stephen King's The Shining. The characters all speak super differently and that was really well done. Like the groundskeeper who tells Jack all about the hotel at the beginning and shows him the boiler and such. He speaks way differently than Dick Halloran, who of course speaks different than Danny, who's a little boy who speaks different than Jack, even though Jack is his dad. And so I really liked that Stephen King was able to differentiate characters just by the way they talked. That was really super well done in that book. So even if you're not a big Stephen King fan, and I wouldn't consider myself a big Stephen King fan either, I occasionally read his books, but that was just such a good example of how to separate your characters apart by the way that they speak that I would suggest it as a research book, I guess, <laughs> if you're interested in seeing how he did that. Like I said, even if you're not a big fan, I really like The Shining, though. I would suggest reading it anyway. But if you just wanted to read it to see how he does that, that's also cool. Let's see. My other books or other characters, I have Black Widow. The character of Tommy, he always wears bright green, bright, bright green, like neon green, and says mate a lot at the end. Like, how you doing, mate? He's not even Australian. He just says mate. He's not even Australian. That was kind of stereotypical, but they actually do say mate down there a lot. I lived there for a while, and yeah, they actually do use mate. But he'll just, how you doing, mate? Or mate, you really need to calm down etc etc so the bright green and the mate and then lisa the female killer the black widow of the black widow novel she loves 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 the color red and no matter how she's disguised herself she always wears red lipstick let's see so those are like the some characters from novels that i've already finished well Finished in the sense that I finished the first draft, you know. Some of them I have edited. Some of them I need to go back and edit. Some of them need rewrites, mostly Black Widow. I'm quite happy with the other ones at the moment, but Black Widow definitely needs some rewriting that I don't feel like doing right now, so I'm not. Which, if you're interested, what I'm working on right now, I'm working on the second Soul Eater book, and I finally figured out one of the problems with it and fix it so that it could move forward in a way that I think is good and that I like. All right, other characters. I was actually just sitting outside earlier today. I feel like my voice just got earlier today. I was sitting outside and I came up with a new story idea about a kind of multi-generational family saga, but mostly focusing on the latest generation, but how their past generations have affected them and are kind of still looming in the background over them and them trying to live up to their the past generations of their family who are rich, influential people. 
And one of the characters, the girl in the book, the youngest daughter, she's obsessed with and always paints the sun. She just loves the sun. The sun is always in her paintings and she likes to paint. And she's still in school. And no matter what her assignment is, she always paints the sun or puts the sun in her assignment somehow because she is so obsessed with the sun and how it shines so brightly and how it's horrible and relentless and yet how we need the sun to survive. I have a story about two brothers. Are they called free divers? I don't know if they're called that, but basically the book's about a two brothers and they're captured. This is like taking place in the 1700s and they're captured by a Spanish ship and forced to be divers for them because people actually did go and dive for treasure, for sunken treasure, free diving back in the day. They were like, hold your breath, go down there and fetch our treasure for us. But one of them in the book always wears a coin around his neck that he found when he was a child when he used to dive for fun before he was enslaved to do it, basically. But there's a lot of things you can do to differentiate your characters. People could bite their fingernails. They could pick at their skin. They could always say, uh, or, um, I used to pick at my skin a lot, like around my fingernails, to be honest. I try not to anymore because I don't think it looks good. And it's also just annoying to have blood coming out of your fingers when you're trying to work or do other things and always saying the uh or the um we had an art teacher we like the collective we of me and the rest of everyone who went to school with me in sixth grade to eighth grade had an art teacher who said um and uh so much when she spoke that we used to tally it during the class just one mark after another after another So that's her defining trait. That's what I remember about her. And I mean, I remember other things and some of the things she taught me. Actually, I still remember. But her defining trait was that she said, uh, or um, a lot. So much so that we started counting how many times. Another one is people could hide behind their hair. I used to do that too. I used to have really long hair. And at school, I would kind of just like hunch over. So my hair would hide my face because I was super shy. Other things could be, you know, leaving T off the ends of words like can't or won't, which is something that we kind of do in English anyway. We don't necessarily enunciate all the words that we're speaking all the time. For example, when we say black and white, we're not saying black and white, black and white, rolling it all together, basically dropping the A and the D off of the and black and white. Things like that, dropping letters or a certain drawl that they might have, a certain way they might speak. Ooh, there was a part in Dracula, which which I have read in the last couple of months, where I believe it was when this wolf escapes and they're talking to the wolf's owner, this guy who runs like a wildlife sanctuary or a zoo, and his pattern of speech was actually hard to understand at some points but once again it made me remember him not exactly what he did but remember his character of oh my gosh the way he spoke and the way that Bram Stoker wrote him speaking at some parts was like wait what word is this and I would have to decipher 
oh, this is the word that he's saying, but in his accent, that's how we would hear it as people that don't have that accent, I guess. I was like, as, as English speakers, but he was speaking English too, just with this crazy accent. But <laughs> you can do that. Just I would say just make sure that people can still understand them unless it's important to the story that they don't understand them. You can also make lists. I know a lot of people, well, I don't know a lot of people, but I remember in school a lot of the time they were like, make a character sheet with their favorite color and their food and their what kind of music they listen to and if they have a family and if they have siblings and what color are their eyes and how do you imagine them and blah, blah, blah. You can do that if it's helpful to you. I don't. I like to start with a character kind of as they are at the beginning of the story and see where they go, see where the characters take themselves. How do they develop as the story goes on? And then if I think of something that I need to go back later, like, oh, this person's favorite food is ramen noodles. Guess I better go back and have them eating ramen noodles earlier instead of steak or something random like that then I can go back and fix it. But I do kind of like to start with my characters at the beginning of the beginning, beginning of the novel, basically like I am, where we're just starting out on an adventure together. And we don't necessarily know each other. And we might know what our end destination is because I usually know how I want my novels to end before I write them. And I know how I want them to start, but it's the middle that's a big mess. So I feel like we're starting an adventure together and we're kind of strangers. I know them and I know them well enough that I would know what they would do in certain situations, but I actually don't know everything about my characters when I start writing. But by the time I'm done with the book, I know them a lot better. And it would be the same way if you went hiking with four different people for a week in, I don't know, the Appalachians or something. Hopefully by the end of that week, you would know more about them. And I feel like that's how I write my characters. I do usually give them, yes, a defining trait or something, but that doesn't mean that I know a thousand percent all about them. I just, while I'm writing this second Soul Eater book, I'm learning things about this one character who I won't say who it is, but... As I'm going along, I'm like, oh, oh, this would be really good to add to his character. Oh my gosh, he needs to do this. Oh my gosh, this and that. And oh my gosh, this part of the story needs to relate to his past where he tried to do this other thing. So as that happens, for me, what I do is I just take notes basically at the bottom of my document so I can just go reference them as I'm writing if I need to. So if I come up with an idea about anything while I'm in the middle of writing a paragraph or just in the middle of writing anything, I'll just put in a couple of spaces, you know, enter, hit enter a couple of times, go down a bit, and then I'll leave a note for myself. Like this character needs to try and smother this other character later because it's important to the storyline and it'll reference back to this thing that he did when he was young that was really, really bad which is basically one of the notes I left for myself for this character in the second book. But at the beginning, when I started writing this, I basically knew that this person is related to someone and he's 
not a good person. And that was it. That's all I knew about him. But basically, when I started writing this, I didn't know that much about this character. I knew his relationships to other characters in the book. I knew if he was a good person or a bad person. But I didn't know much else about him, to be honest. And he's really developed as it has gone along, as have some other characters in the story because of his development. And so I like it. It makes it more fun to me not to actually know everything about my characters. And yeah, I do know my characters really well, which is why it's always good to have other people read your works because you do know everything about it. And well, I take that back because I don't know everything. Like I just said, I don't know everything, but I know them well enough that sometimes you might write it and be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then other people would read it and be like, that made no sense. And you have to be like, oh yeah, it's because they don't know that in this world, the mechanism for magic is spinning in a circle 10 times or whatever it could be. (laughs) I don't have a story, but maybe I'll make one where all the magicians are just dizzy all the time because they got to spin in a circle 10 times or ballerinas are magicians because they can spin like a thousand times and not get dizzy. And it's insane. Literally, people are like, just keep your eye on one spot. And I spin like two times and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm good. My head's like, woo. I do like spinning teacup rides, though. (laughs) I do like spinning, and I like that feeling it gives me of, whoa. But, you know, if I try to spin in a circle myself, it's not going to end well, okay? So I guess if you guys paid me lots of money, I'll, I'll post videos of myself spinning in circles a lot and falling over. Yeah, that's characters. Go and observe people and their habits. I feel like that would help a lot. There are definitely things I've seen people do or ways people have dressed or ways they've interacted with other people. And I make a note to myself mentally like, oh, remember this. I want to have a character do this because that's, that's really interesting or that's super fascinating or, hey, that's just a good way to, like I said, to make your characters separate people instead of having them all be just one person who speaks the same, who reacts the same, etc. Going back to those character sheets, though, like I said, if they work for you, like, good for you. I mean, it's good to plan a little bit and know definitely, like, are they a patient person? Are they quick to get angry will the littlest things make them snap or are they super chill like yeah whatever man that's totally fine going with the flow type thing I think those things are important and if you want to make lists of those have at it of course I'm not gonna like trod on anyone else's way to write like you make lists of characters that's a waste of your time if that works for you mate that works for you do it I don't because it doesn't work for me. For my writing, for me, it is a waste of my time to fill those out because I just get caught up in, oh my gosh, what is her favorite song? Like, what would it be? Oh my gosh, uh, Stairway to Heaven. No, wait, uh, it would be um, uh, Back in Black. No, wait, uh, like, it doesn't matter, okay? It's fine. If that becomes important to the story later on, you can... You can go back. You can go back and add that their favorite song is Stairway to Heaven or Back in Black or whatever. I think the main thing for characters, though, 
is motivation. I feel like if their motivation doesn't line up with their character or it's super out of character for them, for whatever they may be doing, it's not going to work. And I've noticed that in my own writing when I was writing, trying to write my novel Masks about the dystopian society in Paris where everyone is forced to wear masks that is no, not based on COVID. I started writing it before, three years before COVID happened or so, but it's a society based on class, but your class is determined by what, what type of mask you wear. And the main character in that is Marie, and she is a young girl, and I really like her, and I really like all the characters. I mean, I don't like all the characters. Some of them are real assholes, like her oldest brother is a loser, and I don't like him at all. But I like them and the fact that they are all different from each other, and they all have their own things happening. Her oldest brother is just a society pleaser. He wants to rise through the ranks and be that person who gets a golden mask, which if you have a mask with gold on it, that means that you're part of the elite upper class in this society. And you can't just paint your own masks gold. And if they find out that you do, you get executed. So he's super loyal to rising through the ranks and super loyal to the government. Whereas Marie is more of a free spirit and she likes to take her mask off and feel the rain and the wind on her face and she doesn't really understand why they need to wear them. But the problem always came to this moment where she is facing a really powerful character in the novel and she wants to kill them. But I felt like throughout the rest of the novel... She might be upset at the society and she might be upset at some stuff, some bad stuff that has happened to her. But I felt like she was way too kind and way too shy and way too quiet and just not way of a like way too much of a not angry person, whatever, like a patient, but like not patient, just she she wouldn't lash out in a way where she would kill someone like that. <laughs> and yet she's trying to kill this person. And whenever I get to that point in the story, I'm just like, no, no, I have to go back and rewrite her character. And I have to give her some other reason or I have to change her so she's not as demure and not as quiet or Maybe she is on the outside, but on the inside, and when she's alone by herself, she's like this seething, raging person, so that when it comes to that point where she's facing this super powerful, prominent figure in the society, she does try to kill them. Because honestly, every time I just get to it, it's just like, nope, gotta rewrite it, nope. And this is like 300 pages. This is like the climax of the novel, and the rest is the denouement or whatever. But nope. <laughs> I haven't written it well enough that I feel like her motivation is there to actually kill this person. Then again, maybe she's doing it in the rage of the moment, you know, crime of passion or whatever they call it in the legal system where it's, she sees that person, she gets so angry because of all the crap that happens to everyone in this society that she just goes ape shit crazy and starts stabbing him or something. I don't know. Because once again, I don't feel like that fits with her character. 
it potentially could fit with her character and actually talking about it right now is making me think yeah like not necessarily that that part would but maybe i could go back maybe she could secretly be raging because she does write in her journal in the book and i'm like maybe that journal can be the outlet for her anger until she actually is able to see this person face to face and then it's just like you're right there. There's nowhere else to rage. It's coming at you, buddy. Like right for you, like a train smacking you on the tracks, buddy. That's, that's, you know, I I might go back and work on masks, but I definitely have some other, ugh, guys, there's just so many things I want to work on. It's so not cool. Like, why can't I just dedicate 24 hours of every single day of the week to writing all the books that I want to write. Does any, does anyone else have this problem? Because I'm working on Soul Eater right now, but then I just came up with this new novel idea of the multi-generational family saga thing today. And I'm like, now I just want to write that because that's going to be the next great American novel. And then, (laughs) but after while I'm writing Soul Eater 2, I'm like, the next book I want to write is my ancient Egyptian book, because I've wanted to write an ancient Egyptian book for a long time. And I've kind of figured out what I actually want to happen in it, and have it not be a ripoff of The Mummy with Brandon Fraser. So I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna write that next. But then I also want to write the book about the free diving people who are enslaved and told to fetch treasure for the Spaniards in the 1700s because I really love that story too. And that one is awesome. Then I also have a story set in the Vietnam era and blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, way, way too many stories. Guys, ugh. oh my gosh. Why can't I just write more? Why do I have to have a real job? <laughs> anyway, back to characters real quick, since I did quickly mention a Vietnam story. I've never been to war. Neither was I even alive during the Vietnam War. So for the characters in that, I'm actually listening to a podcast called Echoes of the Vietnam War, which is really good. Sometimes it's really hard to listen to just because it's war and, you know, the subject matter can be really heavy. Some of the episodes are really good. I mean, Uh, There hasn't been a bad episode, but some of the episodes are not as like, oh my gosh, that was so heavy. I'm going to be thinking about this for the next five days and wondering why the hell we even go to war and why can't we all just get along type crap. But that's been helpful. I haven't listened to it for a while because I kind of put that Vietnam story to the side because I do need to do more research, but also because someone I know was like, what do you even know about the Vietnam War? You shouldn't be writing things about that because you don't know anything about that. And it kind of crushed my confidence in this story. Like, I still think it's a really good story and I really want to tell it. But I was just like, oh, yeah, I can't write a war story. You're right. Like, it really did crush me. It crushed my confidence in this story, guys. And it kind of upsets me because I was so excited about it. And I was currently writing it and working on it when this person told me that. You shouldn't be writing about that. You don't know anything about war. I was like, okay. Was Frederick Forsyth an assassin that tried to kill President de Gaulle? I don't, I don't think he was, but you know, I don't really remember. Maybe he was. Maybe Frederick Forsyth did try and kill President de Gaulle. You know, I wasn't alive back then. Maybe he secretly is an assassin and he's never been caught. That's like, but authors write about things they don't know. <laughs> like, 
Ah! J.K. Rowling know how magic works? I don't know. Has she ever written a hippogriff? I don't know. Like, I get it. That's a made-up world, and the Vietnam War actually happened, but people, authors create. We're artists, okay? If I was to write a nonfiction book about the Vietnam War, then yeah, I would be horribly unqualified to do that, period. Even after listening to this this multiple episodes of this Echoes of the Vietnam War podcast. No, no, I don't know anything compared to anyone who was there or who's researched it even remotely. Nope, nope, not at all. And I did research it a lot. Like <laughs> I read the whole Wikipedia article about the Vietnam War. Then I read a bunch of articles about it. And then I was listening to this podcast So I kind of finally understand why America was even in the war, since we just seem to skip over the Korean War and the Vietnam War in class, in history classes at school. Like, honestly, I feel like we need to focus on those more because they kind of took place in more modern times and have shaped the world to be in the way it is today. And it's kind of sucky. So thank you for those wars. Anyway. I'm not smacking the veterans, by the way. I'm sorry to anyone who had to fight in that war. I don't want to disrespect anyone because it's awful. And, you know, a lot of them were distracted and had to do it or be a draft dodger. And I don't want to put anyone down for their service to this country. So I have seen the traveling Vietnam Wall Memorial and made me cry. So... And I believe the people who put this podcast out, Echoes of the Vietnam War, I believe they are actually the people that run the traveling Vietnam Memorial Wall. So go listen to their podcast. And if you want, go donate to them. It really touched me as a child. I wasn't older than 13, I would say. Probably not even older than 12 when I saw it. And I still remember seeing it and just being like, this was awful. So so many lives changed and impacted because of it. It's just wrong. Awful, horrible. War is not good. And yes. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that was going to turn into a mini rant slash thoughts about the Vietnam War because someone smacked my book and told me I can't write about things I don't know about. So I don't know about Black Widows either, guys. Like not the spiders, the people, because guess I haven't married anyone and then killed them for their money. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I get it. But at the same time, man, every time I think about working on that book, I I just, I just think of that person telling me not to do it because I can't. And I'm like, man, I just, ugh, it's such a good story. It's so good. I know what I want to happen. It's basically all planned out except for the like detailed parts of, what happens in Vietnam, because I still need to do more research for that. But I know what I want to happen. I just lost my confidence in that. But it's great. I'll get back to it eventually. I'll, <laughs> I'll get my confidence back up. Once I feel like actually writing it, I'll get to it. I just basically need to do more research, which will be a podcast episode. So I should probably save all this blabbering about Vietnam for later. Because this one's about characters. Have characters have defining things. I'll end with the Vietnam story. There's twins in the Vietnam story. And one of them is a big baseball fan. And one of them is a big photographer. He likes going out and taking pictures. More of a quiet kind of dude. 
where the other one is more into sports and more social. So that's their defining traits. Even though they're twins, you know which one is which because this one's got a baseball glove on his hand. This one has his little camera around his neck type thing. You don't have to plan your characters if you don't want to. Go on an adventure with them. Don't be scared. And like I said, if you don't like them or if you need to go change things later, you totally can. They're not set in stone. Even even after it's published, there have been authors that have gone back and changed their books and republished them. I think that's a bit extreme, but, you know, if that floats your boat and that's what you got to do to make your stories work, go ahead and do it. You do you. But that's just some examples and some ideas maybe of how you can make your characters stand out, seem more human, and be their own person so that when people read them, they feel for them and they cry when they die and they want them to succeed if they're good and get overthrown and, you know, shove down the pit if they're evil and just relate relate to them on that level of of connection where where they forget that these people are just from our imagination and where they pick that book up and that world becomes real to them. And that's what I want people to experience when they read my novels, that this world is real and it could be happening somewhere. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. This was way longer than I expected it to be, which seems to happen a lot because I just like to ramble and go off on tangents. But watch Cinderella 3, read Day of the Jackal, don't read was that John Steinbeck one? I hated Grapes of Wrath. Don't read Grapes of Wrath. And if you know a lot of stuff about the Vietnam War, let me know. Because I don't know anything. This has been Fighting for Writing, an episode about characters. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at TatesAPB. You can find me on YouTube at Tater Tots Bookshelf. You can go to my website, which is TatesAPB.com. And I will link all of these in the podcast description as well on my link tree. Thank you so much for listening. Please share and enjoy reading, enjoy writing, enjoy life.